You've probably played video games before, but have you ever tried to complete a video game as fast as you can? Today we're going to be talking about speedrunning video games, What's Cooking episode 25. If you've never heard of speedrunning, I'll give you a quick overview, then we're going to get into some of my personal favorites. Here we go! an interesting time to be alive. It's January. It's about 40 degrees today. It's raining. There was a tornado that came through. Bitcoin is up 20% on the year and the Chargers blew a 27 to 0 lead. We have a lot to talk about today. What's cooking episode 25. Thank you guys for stopping in. Always a pleasure to have you back. We have a topic today that has gained a lot of popularity over the last couple of years, maybe even the last decade if you want to go back that far. I am a person who enjoys playing video games. I assume that some of you guys are too. That's one of the four pillars of this podcast, I suppose you could say. And today's topic has to do with video games. It dives a little bit deeper into a subcategory of video games. And this subcategory is one that I expect that will continue to grow over the coming years. Uh, I think Corona definitely helped it, as it did with a lot of video games, because we're all stuck at home for a while. But I started uh, getting into this around 2016, 2017, and I've enjoyed my time in the community ever since then. And if you read the title of the podcast, you know what I'm talking about. Speedrunning video games. That is when you attempt to complete a video game as fast as possible. And the first time you try to do that, it's going to look pretty bad. It's going to look sloppy and ugly. And you're going to look at your friends that are doing a lot better and hope that you can improve and get to get to their level. It's a competitive environment, speedrunning video games. There's a lot of competition, searching for the best strategies, tactics, glitches, and everything. And... The community likes to share resources with each other. The community is very helpful for most games. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun today. I think we're going to dive in, talk about uh, kind of an overview of speedrunning video games first, just to get you guys up to speed. And then I'm going to go a little bit deeper after that overview with some of my personal experiences, streamers that I've watched, speedrunners that I've watched and paid attention to. And then I had a brief speedrunning career of my own that I, I kind of dipped my foot into for a, a short period of time. I'll talk about that, and then I will give my concluding thoughts, and we'll head over and see what's cooking. So, a lot of fun today. Let's get it going. As a video game player, the first time you pick up a game and head in, you're going to tend to look around the maps, look around your first playthrough, just kind of getting a feel for everything, seeing what's going on, Maybe you're still learning how to play the game, where everything's at. And you might get confused in some places. You might get lost or have to look up something online, how to fix, how to get past a certain part of the video game. And then hopefully you come to the final boss fight or the final mission or level or whatever the last objective is, and you complete it. And that's your casual playthrough of a video game. But 
when we're talking about speedrunners. These are people that have beat the game several times. They know where everything is on the map. They know exactly the best route to get from A to B to C. And they know what they're doing on a whole nother level than your casual gamer. It's kind of, if you want to think of it this way, as a casual gamer playing for the first time, the question is, are you able to beat the game? But as a speedrunner, the question is, how quickly are you able to beat the game? You know that you can beat it easily, but it's, it comes down to a matter of executing at a high level, executing these small and precise movements, these glitches that you have to clip into a wall and get out of bounds and go over here and fly across this part. It's so precise, it's so intricate, and these small little mistake that you might make can screw everything up. So there's quite the skill gap when it comes to a casual player versus a speedrunner, and it's very important to know that these speedrunners are so serious about these games, and it's, it makes it really impressive to watch as a casual viewer. So like I mentioned earlier, the first time I ever got into speedrunning video games was sometime around 2016 or 2017, I don't remember the exact time. And from all the resources and YouTube videos and things that I had seen on speedrunning when I first found it, it appeared to me that this had only been around for maybe five or ten years. Uh, games going back to maybe late 2000s, mid 2000s. But I looked up today, I looked up speedrunning history, how far does it go back. If you want to get technical, speedrunning a video game can go back to the 1980s, 1990s era. Obviously, with the technology back then, you're very much limited to how you're able to learn about speedrunning, how you're able to verify these speedruns and share with the community. So it never really took off until the internet started to take off more. And now you have screen captures that can record the entire gameplay and you can get these little graphics that show all the controller button inputs and everything. I see these Twitch streamers that have like a little graphic on the bottom of their Twitch stream that shows each precise button press and control stick movement as they're happening in real time, which is super cool to give you a better idea of what kind of movements they're performing on the controller. And as technology has advanced, speedrunning has just blown up. It seems like if you look up any game that you played as a kid and you attach the word speedrun onto the end of it, you're going to find somebody out there that's attempted to finish the game as quickly as possible. And if you get lucky, there might even be a dedicated community around that game that's worked to bring the time down as much as they can. And that's definitely been the case for me with a, a couple of my favorite games have some strong communities. I'm going to be talking about that a little bit later. But I need to share with you some of the more basic stuff about speedrunning. Two of the most popular attempt types or categories, I guess you could say, for speedruns are 100%. And that's kind of self-explanatory. If you're doing a 100% run of a video game, you're trying to complete the entire game, which includes all the collectibles, all the achievements and objectives or side quests or anything like that. Um, trying to max out entirely complete the whole game, as 100% would infer. 
But then there's another category, which is called any percent. And this is where you're trying to complete the game by any means necessary. Typically, that means completing the final boss battle or the last level or the final mission. But you don't need to go hunting for all the achievements or side quests or objectives, collectibles, whatever you want to call it. You just got to get to that final stage, final mission, and complete that. And then you've basically beat the game, which is called any percent. You will see some games that create their own categories with the percent on the end, just kind of a standard way of defining a category is having the percent on the end. And there are even some games that define categories without the percent on the end. For example, one of my favorite games is Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. They have a category called 172 emblems. The full game, however, includes 180 emblems. But what they're doing is they're doing basically a 180 emblem run, but they're subtracting out the eight emblems that you get from going into Chao World. And Chao World is a little bit uh, different than the rest of the game. And so some runners don't want to have to mess with that. So they just create a new category where they do all the other stuff, but they don't have to uh, step into Chao World. So you will see that sometimes, but I would say the vast majority of games stick to the top two most popular categories, which are 100% and any percent. Just like you would expect with any competitive activity, if you're a speedrunner, you have to put in a ton of work, a ton of practice to stay at the peak performance level that you need to be one of the best speedrunners there are. So a lot of these speedrunners have Twitch accounts, which is a platform where you can live stream your content. So they'll just hop on stream, uh, practice their speed runs, and hang out with the community. People can chat with them, people can donate, people can subscribe, and it's a way for them to practice speed running, talk with other people that are also interested in it, and possibly if they have a big enough following, they can make some money off of it. So it's really uh, killing three birds with one stone. It's a great uh, use of time in their uh, circumstances. So uh, Twitch is definitely a place I would recommend you go if you're interested in finding some speedruns. You will see the occasional uh, YouTube stream speedrunners, but most of the action is going to be on twitch.tv. Now, even though I just talked about how much work you have to put in to be a great speedrunner, there are occasions where you can get away with not exactly doing a whole lot and still maintaining the top spot for your game. And that's really dependent on the community. How active is the speedrunning community for your game? How many speedrunners are there? How much work and research and time has been put into this game? If you choose a really obscure game that not many people know about, you're going to have a much better chance of getting the world record and holding that spot on the leaderboard. But if you're speedrunning something like Mario Sunshine, where it's going to have thousands and thousands of people competing for the top spot, you're going to find that uh, if you take a week off, if you take a month off, somebody might dethrone you. Another element to speedrunning that people don't always consider is that when you're a casual gamer and you're just playing for fun, a lot of times you're playing reactionary. You're playing as you take things as they come. So you look around, maybe it's a game with enemies that are attacking you, and you 
react to what you see on the screen. First, the thing on the screen happens, and then you react to what you see. But when you're speedrunning, you have to be so much more advanced than that. You have to anticipate. You have to forecast what's going to happen to you, and sometimes even preemptively take action to defeat the enemies or avoid getting attacked or whatever it is. You have to know what's going to happen before it does happen, and then position yourself in a way that allows you to continue the speed run without getting stopped. So, just another element that、uh, I think is really interesting. It adds another skill gap. You have to know what's coming before it actually appears on the screen, and some of these speedrunners are so good at that. They have the muscle memory down. It's just second nature to them. They're dialed in. They've played the game for years. They know what they're doing. The enemy is going to spawn in right there, and if I do a triple backflip hold Y and while I'm crouching, looking backwards, then I'm going to be able to knock him off the map. Something like that. <laughs> it's going to be different for every game, obviously, but you know, it's just a complete mastery of the game is required a lot of times to make it to the top, and that's just part of the game. That's part of the community. And that's part of the nature of speedrunning. So, as a viewer, we are privileged to watch some of the best of the best battle it out. Most video games have an intended sequence of events. First, you're going to go here. You're going to talk to this guy. He's going to send you to this part of the map where you're going to battle two guys, and then you're going to come over here and collect your reward. Something along those lines. When you're speedrunning a video game. You have to think of every single possible path, and determine which route is the fastest way to complete the game. So, in situations, you're going to see some speedrunners kind of go against the grain, go against what the game intended you to do, the sequence of events that they've set out for you, because there are plenty of examples where your route that you've created on your own. Is actually a lot faster than what the game is hoping that you do, and a good example of this is in a game called SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom. Yes, believe it or not, there is quite the community around that game. I played it a ton as a kid, and I love watching the speedruns. There are so many different golden spatulas spread across Bikini Bottom that SpongeBob has to collect, and there's somewhat of a intended route for SpongeBob to take. And Patrick and Sandy as well to go around collecting all these things, but some of the best speedrunners of that game have decided that their own route is、uh, a lot faster than what the game decides for them. So they have to find ways to cut across and take shortcuts and go to different points of the map before they reach other points of the map. And deciding how to do this is called routing. You have to create a route that works best for your speedrun for your game, and this is a very detailed process. You have to take a ton of different things into consideration, and hopefully, at the end, you've formulated the best plan of attack, the best approach to going through the game, collecting these、uh, objectives, knocking out the enemies, and completing the final boss battle. So. It's just、uh, a lot of thinking that has to go into this, a lot of preparation that the casual gamer might not 
uh, consider. And it's really impressive to see the level of detail that these guys go into, the amount of preparation and planning that they put into this, because every second matters in a speed run. And <laughs> there's so many memes out there that, uh, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you go to eat breakfast, if you hold your spoon at a certain angle and then you crouch and press X at the same time, you can actually clip through the bottom of the floor and teleport to school, which saves you about 30 seconds. <laughs> that's, a, that's a popular meme for, from the speedrunners because uh, they're always thinking of new ways to clip out of bounds, to break barriers, and to expose these glitches that'll take them to new areas and allow them to complete the game faster. So everything has to be considered. There is no, no stone unturned. And the, the amount of detail, like I've said, is just very impressive. Although for some games, you don't have a lot of flexibility for your routing. There's going to be times where your game is based on levels. So like level one, level two, and level two does not unlock until you complete level one. So you're kind of uh, limited in that sense. So in that case, you wouldn't have a lot of control over your route. You would just have to kind of work with what you're given. But in some of these exploration games and some of these uh, open map adventure type of games, you're going to have so much flexibility in your routing. And there's going to be so many more possibilities at play. So that's where the community comes in. You're going to have other people going out and trying different things. And the more people you have to go out and attempt and trial and error and kind of lab up some different approaches, that's how you advance the game further. That's how you bring the times down. And that's the best way to advance the speedrunning times of your favorite game. Now, you've already heard me talk a little bit about some of these glitches and clips and uh, manipulating of the game. You would think that doing this is uh, going against what the game intended and therefore it would be considered cheating. But I think that one of the beauties of speedrunning is that a lot of these old games that people play and speedrun are games that are on consoles that don't have internet connections. So, for example, I grew up playing a ton of different video games on the GameCube, and the GameCube does not connect to the internet, so there's no way for the game developers to come out with an update, come out with a hotfix and patch the game if a bug or a glitch comes out. Whatever they published is the final version, that's it. And so that means there's going to be people that play the game and find different ways to glitch, uh, clip out of bounds, sequence, break uh, certain events, and that's just stuck in the game. There's no way to get around it. And so the speedrunning community kind of embraces that and lets you kind of run with your imagination. So it gets pretty uh, advanced and it gets pretty crazy when you're watching these speedrunners. They know all the spots where you can kind of game the system, take advantage of certain mechanics of the game. Um, one example I have is, again, coming from SpongeBob L for Bikini Bottom. There's a trick called cruise boosting, where you have this uh, attack with a, like a little cruise bubble, and you're supposed to be able to like use that to attack enemies from a long distance or whatever. 
but people have figured out that if you position yourself directly against the wall and you cruise boost into the wall and you like hold the control stick a certain direction and do that twice i don't even know the exact process but you do some sequence of events with that it gives you more speed than the game intended when you release that attack and so you're just constantly gliding forward at a pace that's faster than intended and you can use this to go faster than intended and also reach areas which the game didn't think was possible and so it opens up a whole new can of worms where you're able to go in different order than what was intended and reach areas and do things that the game developers never considered and that's the beauty of speedrunning man you have people that are so dedicated to finding these things and kind of break the game in a, in a sense but also it all contributes to getting to the finish line as soon as possible so that's all they're focused on is getting the times down getting there as soon as possible and if it requires you to go out of bounds if it requires you to glitch into a wall and do a triple backflip while you're reverse cruise boosting off the moon then that's what they're going to do and i bet you right now if you go look up some of your favorite video games and you attach the word speedrun on the end you're going to see some speedrunners doing things that you never knew were possible you're going to see some glitches that you probably didn't know existed and it's going to be mind opening mind blowing to watch some of the things that they're able to do however if you are speedrunning a relatively new game that's able to connect to the internet there might be cases where the game developers notice a game breaking bug or glitch uh, that might contribute to the speedrunning community but they don't like it for the integrity of their game so they might remove it they might find a way to patch it and that's got to be something that you consider if you decide to speedrun some of these newer games that's a possibility just to let you know that's why i mostly take an interest in some of the older games uh, partly due to nostalgia partly due to my childhood and that's kind of what i grew up playing but at the same time it seems to be a more resilient uh platform when you're not connected to the internet because you know that you're playing the final version of the game and it's not going to be altered in the future of course speedrunning is very skill based it's very rewarding to those who put in the time and the work and the effort and the preparation as any activity is but in speedrunning some of these video games you're going to find a certain amount of luck that is factored in there are certain places where you just get screwed over by bad luck or you might have had a rough attempt a, a bad run up to this point and then you absolutely destroy a, a level because you got great luck and it helped you get a better time and this luck that occurs within these speedruns is what we like to refer to as RNG, random number generation. You can't really avoid it in some games. It's just going to be RNG-based, some of the stages, some of the levels. Things might spawn in in different places. Enemies might just decide to run to different spots or spawn in in different locations. And you hope for the best RNG, but if you get screwed over, you might have to reset and that's just the luck of the draw. So 
An example I have of this is um, one of the games that I am interested in, Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. There are these stages where the three pieces of the Master Emerald are hidden throughout the map, and the way that they are hidden is based on the frame that you load into the map. I guess it's determined on how much time have you spent leading up to this point, and the frame that you enter on will determine where these emeralds are located throughout the map. So you might come in with a great run and get absolutely terrible locations. You have to fly all the way across the map to find these things, and they're inside a wall, which you have to do a terrible and annoying sequence of events to get there. And it can definitely destroy your run, whereas you might get a great set of emeralds and you're just moving and grooving. So it really comes down to luck. It really comes down to RNG. If you've ever heard someone say that's just bad RNG, that just means bad luck. Some people like to joke about that outside of the speedrunning world. Like, for example, if the Chargers were to make it to overtime against the Chiefs and we go meet at the center field, we shake hands, one of the teams decides which side of the coin they want to go with, and the ref tosses the coin, and then about 10 times out of 10, it's going to turn up as the Chiefs' side of the coin, so the Chiefs will get the ball first in overtime, and they'll win, as they always do against us, and that's what we like to call bad RNG. It was the luck of the coin flip that happened to favor the Chiefs, and the NFL overtime rules are not very good. And so the Chiefs get the first crack at it, and they march down the field, and Travis Kelsey gets a touchdown, and I'm pissed. That's what we like to call bad RNG in real life, though. And you wouldn't really say that in real life unless you're around other people that are familiar with speedrunning. Otherwise, you might get some weird looks. But uh, I still do it sometimes just to stay true to my hobbies. But it's up to you guys if you want to say bad RNG. Uh, do it at your own risk. Not only has speedrunning taken over on the internet and on these platforms like YouTube and Twitch and Discord where you're able to share a lot of information and resources and have conversations with people that are speedrunning the same games as you, but the speedrunning community has eclipsed the virtual world and actually reached a point where there are actual in-person events for speedrunning. Some of the most popular ones are called SGDQ, which is, stands for Summer Games Done Quick. And then there's also AGDQ, which is called Awesome Games Done Quick. I don't really know uh, the exact reasoning for the naming conventions there. Are they hinting that the Summer Games Done Quick are not necessarily awesome? And are they hinting that the Awesome Games Done Quick are not in the summer? Who knows? <laughs> I'm just messing around there, but... Um, those are two super popular uh, speedrunning events that happen, I think, usually in the United States. You're going to have a huge convention set up with uh, viewers and speedrunners and people who verify the times, people who record the runs and stream it on Twitch and everything, and it's a huge event, and they raise a bunch of money from donations and uh, give all the money to charity and people get to learn about new games. The, some of the experts come and they have a panel of people that uh, help explain the game to the new viewers. It's super cool. 
and it's actually the way that I first discovered speedrunning. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, but like I said, the community for speedrunning has evolved and it's become super big. The main website for submitting runs, if you wanted to speedrun your favorite game and see where you stack up on the leaderboard, you want to go to speedrun.com and then look up from there whatever game that you're interested in. There's a process that you have to go through to verify your runs and your game is going to have a predetermined set of rules that you have to abide by. Um, you might have to screen capture the entire footage of your run and a lot of games that's becoming very popular to verify because there's people that have tried to cheat in the past where they kind of splice together clips from different points in time and claim that it's one run when in reality those were just uh, great attempts from different points that were put together so you gotta you gotta be legit out here guys there's no we don't we don't have any time for these fake speedrunners all right speedrun.com huge resource discord servers are huge as well twitch streams obviously youtube um these events man these events are keep happening i think uh agdq 2023 actually just happened and i had no idea and then i went back and looked at the game lineup and i was like oh that's why i have no idea <laughs> i did not recognize any of the games really i don't i'm not interested in them anyways so that'll happen sometimes but I've had a lot of streamers that I pay attention to also perform at these uh, events, so super cool. Maybe you guys will find that interesting. Maybe you'll be able to discover some new games or uh, reclaim your interest from old games, but whatever you're interested in, there's going to be a ton of resources out there for you. One last thing I want to talk about before we get into my personal experiences in speedrunning. There is such a thing called tool-assisted speedrunning, also known as TAS, T-A-S. This is where you, with the help of software, you manufacture a speedrun based on inputs that you can slow down the game and precisely provide controller inputs at a frame-specific level. So, I think generally a frame is 1 60th of a second, assuming you're, the game you're playing is at 60 frames per second. So you get to decide at each frame what input the controller is giving, and that allows you to be super precise and super specific with your movements. And it really just, it's computerized, and no human could ever perform that well. And it's just kind of to demonstrate what's possible within the game as it's speed ran. So these tool-assisted speedruns, you'll see some clips of these on YouTube. They take a long time to develop and produce because you have to not only be aware of all the best tactics and routes and everything to use, but then also input at a frame-specific level everything that's going to be happening throughout the run. So... It does take a ton of time and development to create these, but the result is unbelievable. I actually got distracted today while typing up uh, some of my notes here by watching some tool-assisted speedruns of some of my favorite games just because of how me mesmerizing they are. You would not believe some of the things that are possible in these games 
with the power of tool-assisted speedruns. They can reach places that you never would have dreamed. They can travel at speeds that you never would have considered. It's unreal. And it's all thanks to uh, computer software that allows you to slow things down and input these uh, inputs. So I would once again recommend if you guys are video game people, go out and search up speedrun of your favorite video game, maybe even a tool-assisted a task of your favorite video game. That would be cool if that exists for your game and you'd be able to see just at the complete optimal level how fast you can get from start to finish. All right, hopefully that was a good explanation of the basics of speedrunning. Obviously there's a ton more that I could have gone into, but I just pumped out a quick half hour of explaining speedrunning, so I feel like that's going to be a good base level for you guys if you're even still around at this point. <laughs> but uh, now I'm going to shift over to some of my personal endeavors within the world of speedrunning. What do I watch? What do I pay attention to? What am I inspired by? What have I participated in? And kind of give my thoughts in each of those areas. So let's start out with uh, where it all began for me. As I said earlier, I first noticed the possibility of speedrunning video games when I saw a AGDQ, which is Awesome Games Done Quick, um, speedrunning event. I found a clip on YouTube of Sonic Adventure 2 Battle, which was played by the speedrunner Talon2461. He played Sonic Adventure 2 Battle All Stories, so that means you have to complete Hero Story, complete Dark Story, and complete the Last Story. And when I watched him do that, I was uh, 16, 17 years old, and I had played Sonic Adventure 2 Battle quite a bit growing up. I was very familiar with the casual side of the game, what I thought was the limits of what was possible, but no. <laughs> this opened up a whole new um, group of ideas, group of concepts, and possibilities, and it was just an unbelievable awakening of what's possible and things I never would have considered things that are so precise and intricately detailed. And I just, I was glued. I was hooked. I couldn't stop watching that, man. It was so fascinating to watch. And from there, I kind of went down the rabbit hole. I thought that, you know what, if this exists for Sonic, surely there's more popular games than this that probably have it too. So maybe some of my niche favorite games have a similar thing to this. And sure enough, they were. I ended up finding SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom speedruns. And a, a particular speedrunner that stands out from the rest is named Shift. If you guys are diehard What's Cooking listeners, uh, you remember me talking about a guy named Shift who speedruns SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom. I talked about him in the What's Cooking video game segment a long time ago, probably back in uh, September, August maybe. <laughs> um, he is dedicated at a level that few others have been able to reach to the game SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom. My man streams nearly every day for upwards of six, seven, eight hours. And it's like, it's his life's work to keep pushing this game, 
pushing the boundaries of what's possible. He has a dedicated community, so he's actually making money while doing this. It's not like he's uh, just doing this as a side thing. Like, this is his thing. And he's reached a point where he's so far ahead of everyone else on the leaderboard, and everyone just kind of rallies around him to see how far he can keep going. So it's really cool. I watch a lot of his Twitch streams, and it's incredible to watch. It's impressive. And somehow, we're still finding new things that are possible in games that came out in the year 2002, 2003. We're 20 years past the date that these games have been created, and we're still finding new things, which is incredible. So obviously, Sonic Adventure 2 Battle and SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom are going to be my two favorite speedrun games. These are what I watch and pay attention to the most. But I have a special place in my heart for another game, which is called Hot Wheels Velocity X. It's a, a computer game, actually. So this one's not... Well, it is on GameCube, but I actually had this on the PC growing up. So I didn't have the GameCube side of this. I had the PC version. And I think that's actually the more optimal version for speedrunning. But the community for Hot Wheels Velocity X speedrunning is not really active. It's not as widespread as these other two games I've been talking about. It's really one person that leads the way, and that's a guy named Overdrive. And back in, uh, what was it, 2018, he had a world record for this game, which was pretty good. But I got curious, and I started hopping on the game and messing around. I was pretty much just copying whatever he was doing. I was doing the same routes that he was doing. I was doing the same movements, using the same cars, weapons, etc. And trying to see how close I could come to his time. And after a week of practicing this, I actually set a new world record just by picking up this game and trying to replicate what I had seen in a YouTube video. And that was mind-blowing to me. That was wild that I just kind of picked this up and stumbled into a world record speedrun time. So that was summer of 2018, right when I graduated high school and before I had gone into college. And by the way, I actually had to download a screen capture software and download LiveSplit, which is a software that shows each split for every level and the clock and the times and everything. So I kind of put in some, uh, some real research into this and went all out. And hey, I got a world record out of it. But after I went off to college, things got a little busy. I had some classes, I had some assignments, I had some homework. And it turns out my man Overdrive was still playing. He was still working on getting better at the game, trying to push the times down. And unfortunately, I refreshed the leaderboards one day to find out that Overdrive had retaken his former world record. He beat my world record time, and he is now reclaimed what was previously his. And what's funny about this moment is that my roommate in college, my freshman year, was in the room when I found out that this record had been broken of mine. And <laughs> my reaction, I was like, what? You're, you gotta be kidding me. Are you serious right now? <laughs> and he thought that I was all pissed off about 
something that's actually like serious in real life that had uh, real life implications. But when I told him that someone beat my speed run Hot Wheel Velocity X world record, <laughs> he was a uh, he was a little uh, confused and frustrated and laughing at me and whatever made fun of me. But hey, I was frustrated, man. I was pissed. I had a world record and then it it got beaten. So you know, such is life. To this day, Overdrive still holds the world record for Hot Wheels Velocity X, and he's actually beaten his own record since then, so he's advanced the game even further than what he previously did, and it's super impressive to watch. I have not done any speedruns of Hot Wheels Velocity X since that that summer 2018 when I got my world record. Um, I've, I've been busy doing other stuff, and I've dedicated my time to other things like this podcast. So if I wanted to, I might be able to beat uh, my previous record, but I think that it would take a ton of time to reach the level that Overdrive's at. He's really stayed consistent with it. He's really done a great job. So I think that he's in a league of his own right now, rightfully so. Shout out Overdrive. And I don't think I'm going to be attempting that anytime soon. So uh, just fun memories, though. It was cool to have a world record for a little bit, but now I'm going to be more of a spectator these days. One last game I got to mention before we wrap things up here, Minecraft. You might think of it as an adventure game where you try to build and defeat enemies and just kind of survive and have fun with friends, but there are a ton of speedrunners who try to defeat the Ender Dragon as soon as possible. These Minecraft speedruns usually fall into one of two categories. RSG is random seed glitchless. So that means it's a random seed. It's a random world. You don't know what you're getting into, but you're going to try to react to what world was generated for you and beat the ender dragon as soon as possible without using any glitches. And then there's SSG, which is set seed glitchless. That means it's a predetermined seed. You know exactly the layout of the world, what you're getting into. It's just a matter of execution, and it's a matter of a little bit of RNG with the Ender Dragon, I suppose, but it's a little more predictable in that sense. I don't actually know who holds the world record right now for Minecraft, SSG, and RSG, but the speedrunner I watch the most for this is Tifu. I'm pretty sure Tifu is mainly a Fortnite guy. I'm pretty sure he's a big Fortnite gamer on Twitch. I honestly have never watched uh, a Tifu Fortnite stream or really any Fortnite stream, to be honest with you. Like I, I mentioned on a previous podcast, Fortnite is one of the trends that I decided to sit out. I decided to not get involved with it, and I've been fine without it. But Tifu occasionally will dive into some Minecraft speedruns, and my man is unbelievably gifted at this. The control he has and the quick movements and precision that he has in Minecraft is unbelievable. I don't know if he streams it a ton anymore, but the time that I watched Tifu stream Minecraft the most was, oh, end of winter 2021, beginning of spring 2021. So my memory is probably a little outdated with what's going on with Minecraft speedruns, but maybe I'll hop back into it here and see what's popping. But guys, I think that's going to be it for speedrunning in this episode. I shared some of the basic overview of everything that I consider to be important 
in speedrunning that I could fit into a podcast episode. And then I kind of went off on my own interest there, talked about what games I like to watch, and the game that I once upon a time had the world record for. But if there's one takeaway from this episode, it would be that I would like you to go search up your some of your favorite video games that you might not have even considered to have a community for. Just give it a quick search on YouTube for that video game with some speed runs, and you will be amazed at what you see, hopefully. Unless you're choosing a super unknown game, I guess. Chances are you're going to find some people who have done some speedrun attempts, and you might be amazed at the possibilities in that game that you would have never even considered. So if you're up for the challenge, go check it out. But even if you're not up for the challenge, then you should stick around because we're about to see what is cooking in each of the four categories. What's cooking in sports? For the first time in a very long time, I have no college football games to update you guys with. Man, it's been a fun college football season. So today we're going to be hopping straight into NFL. There's no more avoiding it. There's no more hiding away. We need to address the collapse that took place this weekend. The Chargers versus the Jaguars. I was confident going into this one. I felt like we were, with the exception of the Broncos game, we had hit a groove the Chargers had. Things were looking up. And even in the first half of Chargers versus Jaguars wildcard game, my goodness, we were playing out of our minds. Trevor Lawrence throws four interceptions in the first half. The Jags muffed a punt and the Chargers recovered it inside the Jags' 10-yard line. We were up 7-0, and that went to 10-0, that went to 17-24. We were up 24-0. We recover that muffed punt inside the Jags' 10-yard line. Had a chance to take it to 31-0 in the first half. We go 3-0. and out. We get stopped. We have to kick a field goal. Settle for three when the drive starts inside enemy 10-yard line. That's not good. Perfect situation to punch in for another touchdown, but we couldn't do it. So this means we have a 27-0 lead in the first half. We're just trying to get to halftime at this point and come out in the second half and continue what we're doing, honestly. Jaguars actually score a touchdown right before half. They do get one in there, so that gives them... A little confidence going into halftime, a little something to be positive about. Even though the Chargers won the turnover differential by plus five in the first half. That's unbelievable to do in an entire game, and we had done it in the first half. So then the second half, we come back out, and Chargers get the ball to start. Here's how the four drives for the Chargers went in the second half. Here's the drive outcomes of our four possessions. Punt, field goal, missed field goal, punt. A total of three points scored in the second half. Here's the Jaguars' drives in the second half. Their drive outcomes, touchdown, 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 field goal. And that field goal was the game winner as time expires. The entire season... Brandon Staley and Joe Lombardi have been awful at 
adjusting at halftime and awful when playing with a lead. We do not have the ability to run the ball effectively in the second half with a lead. We don't have the ability to pretty much run the ball at any point in any game. Austin Eckler is a great running back, but for whatever reason, the run plays that we're drawing up don't really let him get much progress, with the exception of he did break off a nice run in the Rams game. That was one of the few big runs we've had all season. Joshua Kelly's been stepping in at times and picking up a few yards here and there, but it's been an overwhelming amount of passing on offense. We've become one-dimensional. Teams are seeing that on film, and they're just going to drop back and force us and dare us to run. And then when we try to run, nothing happens. It's not there. So we're forced to pass. And when you're playing with a lead as large as we had, you definitely want to run the ball, and we really couldn't do it. So that's what kind of hurt us in the second half. And uh, what was going on on defense didn't exactly help. Brandon Staley, the the so-called defensive whiz, and his defense, although I will give him credit, the first half we were flying around everywhere. Asante Samuel, three interceptions. That was incredible. Drew Tranquil had an interception as well. Pretty solid start, but for whatever reason, we go into halftime and we get fat and happy and we get content and we settle and we just we settle down and we come out flat every time like clockwork. It's disappointing to watch because you know in sports the second half is the most important part of the game. The fourth quarter is the most important part of the game. You have to finish strong or you're not going to make it very far. Doug Peterson is a Super Bowl winning coach. He's had that experience. He did it against Tom Brady with a backup quarterback. He helped Nick Foles pull off the impossible. This guy is a seasoned veteran at coach. He knows what he's doing. He knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two. And Brandon Staley is an unproven guy who rose up the ranks very quickly. He was at John Carroll. He was at Mercyhurst. And then he was with the Broncos. Then he was with the Rams and kind of worked his way up suspiciously quickly. And now we're seeing the results of the lack of experience in the NFL from Brandon Staley. It's starting to show that we are uncomfortable late game. We don't have a reliable identity on offense or defense, really. I mean, Justin Herbert is the heart and soul of our offense. And Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are nice, too. Austin Eckler... We have weapons, but when we are so heavily reliant on passing, you just, you can't do that. You have to have the run game in order to balance things out. And it's really just dug a hole for us, this lack of a run game. So now that we're going into the off season, just actually today, as the time of we're recording this, 
Offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi and quarterbacks coach Shane Day have both been fired. Somehow, someway, Brandon Staley is still employed. He still has a job coaching the Chargers. Uh, If it was up to me, he'd be gone. He would be gone. Get ready to learn Chinese, buddy. Because the last two years have been head scratchers after head scratchers. The Mike Williams starters in the Broncos game situation. The Raiders timeout gate fiasco last year. The the going for it on fourth and two on your own 18-yard line or whatever. It's just, if you make one controversial mistake, you can learn from that. But after a certain point, you have to see a trend here. And it's hard to recover after the deed has been done. And the deed, let me tell you, the deed has been done and done and done time and time again. Staley is just, he's not it, chief. He's not going to be the guy to lead us deep in the postseason. And I'm, I feel like if we're keeping him around, it's just going to be another wasted year. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully I can check back in a year and things will be different, but it's just, it's not happening. And I, if the fans are able to recognize some of these problems, then how are the organization, how are the owners not able to recognize this? Another thing, Tom Telesco, our GM, there is no reason for him to still be employed. He has been the GM for a very long time. We have not won the division since he started at GM. He's had questionable draft picks that didn't pan out. Obviously, there have been some bright spots. He did draft Herbert. He did draft Rashawn Slater and Derwin James and a few other solid picks, Asante Samuel. But, I mean, he's been part of hiring the following coaches, Mike McCoy, fired, Anthony Lynn, fired, Brandon Staley, should have been fired. Telesco is just a trend within the organization that you can really, when things go wrong, you're looking for someone to blame And we've done that over the years. We've looked at head coach, we've looked at coordinators, we've looked at certain players at times. At a certain point, the GM needs to be held responsible because he's the one crafting the team. He's the one putting the pieces in place. And the fact that we only have one playoff win in the last however many years, that was in 2018, I'm just livid at this point with Tom Telesco. I, my patience is gone, and I feel like he needs to go. Brandon Staley needs to go. Our owner needs to go. It's time for a clean slate all across the board because what we've been trying for the last 17 years, ever since LT left, there has been no success. And the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Spanos, you're going insane, my buddy. You're, you're going off the rails, and it's time that we help you 
get off the rails of the Chargers franchise and find find a new place for you to call home because we're sick and tired of this and we cannot tolerate this crap any further. A 27-0 blown lead the year after what happened in that Raiders game. How many more examples do you need? How many more collapses and meltdowns and embarrassments is it going to take before we see widespread change in the organization? One, two, is it going to be three more, four more, 473 more? (laughs) I see that as a very realistic timeline. I don't know, man. I'm pissed off, but uh, I'm a Chargers fan at the end of the day. There's nothing I can really do. My loyalty is to the Chargers, and I'm kind of stuck. I'm stuck, and I don't want to back out because of all the the energy and time and everything that I've put into the being a fan. <laughs> put into, you, you say that like it's hard work or anything, but you know how it goes, man. I'm just going through it right now, and I'm venting here because this is uh, this is my space to get my frustrations out. So hopefully you guys are cheering for a franchise that's well-run and not a dumpster fire like the Chargers. And we have to we have to be appreciative that we're even in the playoffs because there are other teams that just go three and fourteen every year, and they just have no hope. So we have some hope with our roster, but what would you rather have at the end of the day? A team that you know is going to suck and then they suck? Or a team that has the talent and the pieces in place to make a Super Bowl run and they underperform and suck? Honestly, I don't know which one is worse. I feel like when you know it's going to suck and it sucks, then your expectations have been met. But when you think it's going to be good and then it sucks, your expectations have been underperformed. And that disappointment creeps in to a level that you would not have in the other scenario. So, I don't know. You guys let me know which one, which situation would you rather have. Obviously, the best case scenario is a well-run organization that can make a deep playoff run. But that is not the scenario that I'm in today or anytime soon for that matter. That's my rant on the Chargers. That's going to take up all of sports that we have for this week. Um, I'm going to go forward and do more general sports topics in the future now that Chargers are done, Hawkeye football is done. We're going to see a little more diversity in widespread sports going forward. So uh, now that I got that off my chest, let's move on. What's cooking in finance? There are a few things in life that are certain. They are unavoidable. They will happen whether you like it or not. Death, taxes, the Chargers underperforming, and the reverse Jim Cramer index. I want you guys to listen to this following stat that I just cooked up. This is my own research, by the way. This is not something I found on the internet. Jim Cramer came out on December 23rd, 2022, two days before Christmas, this previous uh, Christmas. He said, I would not touch crypto in a million years. Even though he's promoted certain crypto in the past, 
So he's going back on his own word for whatever reason, being inconsistent as he does. And he now says that he doesn't want anything to do with crypto. Okay. Well, if the reverse Kramer index is living up to its name, that means crypto is going to go on a run. Let's listen to some of the popular crypto and how they've performed since December 23rd, which is the exact moment when Jim Cramer made this statement. Bitcoin is up 26.1%. Ethereum is up 28.3%. Litecoin is up 32.9%. Cardano is up 33.4%. Solana is up 94%. Ladies and gentlemen, the Jim Cramer reverse index is all reliable. You can count on that puppy any day of the week. It's honestly impressive at this point how consistently wrong Jim Cramer is. It reminds me of certain people when March Madness comes around and they try to fill out a bracket that is 100% wrong. (laughs) They try to get all the incorrect picks. And I don't have the math in front of me, but I'm wondering if it's harder to do 100% incorrect or 100% correct bracket. I'm assuming it's harder to do a correct bracket because the scenarios after the first round, obviously if you get the first round incorrect, everything else after that is incorrect. So that's my thinking there. But, you know, Jim Cramer, buddy, for all the experience and all the publicity and platforms that you're able to reach, you got to be disappointed in yourself with how your suggestions have been going, man. You got to do some soul searching here. Try to find your inner peace and uh, reconnect with some of the, the truth and <laughs> some of the reliable sources out there because, uh, hello? <laughs> Is anybody home in the head of Jim Cramer? He's been wrong reliably for a long time. And I don't know how he keeps getting a show where he can give his financial advice to people. I hope you guys aren't listening to Jim Cramer. And hopefully he's not uh, negatively impacting others because my goodness, people. Uh, But when we see crypto shooting up like this, when we see Bitcoin up 26%, some of these other coins up 20, 30, Solana even up 94%, partially because it's been beaten down into the ground so much, Do you guys think that this is going to be a trap? Do you think that this is a a fake hype rally? Or are we really turning the corner here? I think a ton of it depends on interest rates and inflation. We're going to see what uh, Jerome Powell cooks up next month. We're going to see what the numbers come back and say to us. I think that's a big reason why we've been going positive lately is because uh the inflation numbers have cooled off a little bit, but I don't know, man. I kind of feel like uh, this is a little bit of a, a fake hype rally, if I'm being honest. We might, we might not make it all the way back down to the depths of where we were, but uh, I wouldn't expect this momentum to continue at this pace very much longer. I think we'll either level out or kind of head back down slightly and hang out there. But I hope I'm wrong. Once again, hey, 
<laughs> if we can keep this momentum going, man, if we can recover, 2023 could be the year of the recovery after all the doom and gloom and destruction that happened in 2022 in the markets. I would welcome that with open arms. Who knows? My crystal ball is in the shop. All I know is that reverse Jim Cramer index is one of the more reliable sources of financial advice that you can find. And always do your own research and use multiple sources when you're researching. So that's, uh, that's my unsolicited advice. So do with that what you will. What's cooking in technology? Alarmed by AI chatbots, universities start revamping how they teach. With the rise of the popular new chatbot, ChatGPT, colleges are restructuring some courses and taking preventative measures. While grading essays for his World Religions course last month, Anthony Aumann, a professor of philosophy at Northern Michigan University, read what he said was easily the best paper in the class. It explored the morality of burqa bans with clean paragraphs, fitting examples, and rigorous arguments. A red flag instantly went up. What do you mean red flag, Anthony? Why, why can't you just believe in your students, man? Why you gotta, why you gotta call BS if it's such a great essay? Maybe you just have a bright student in your class. You gotta have faith in your students, man. I, uh, I, I would be applauding, but uh, unfortunately, the red flag was a correct suspicion. Mr. Allman confronted his student over whether he had written the essay himself. The student confessed to using ChatGPT, a chatbot that delivers information, explains concepts, and generates ideas in simple sentences, and in this case, had written the paper. Alarmed by his discovery, Mr. Allman decided to transform the essay writing for his courses this semester. He now plans to require students to write their first drafts in the classroom, where they will be using browsers that monitor and restrict computer activity. However, in the later drafts, these students have to explain each revision. Mr. Allman, who may forego essays in subsequent semesters, also plans to weave chat GPT into lessons by asking students to evaluate the chatbot's responses. Mr. Allman, what a goat. He said, let's not be afraid of the new and improved technology. Let's embrace it. Let's use it to start a new discussion. My man. What's happening in class is no longer going to be, here are some questions. Let's talk about it between us human beings, he said. But instead, it's like, what also does this alien robot think? This kind of philosophy, this kind of open-mindedness is hard to find these days because some of these professors and some of these teachers have been teaching their subject and teaching their field for such a long time that they enjoy the familiarity of their processes of how students do things, of how the teachers run the class, they are a little resistant to change. So to see this sort of open-mindedness is a great sign and a, a shining light in the otherwise gloomy uh, professor class structure that I've noticed 
in my time. Because I feel like some of these professors really are just looking for ways to limit the resources that we're using. And in the world going forward, technology is going to be everywhere. Technology already is everywhere. It's going to be even more advanced. It's going to be even more implemented. So I feel like we're better off learning about it and learning how to best utilize it rather than just resisting altogether and trying to force us to do things in a previous generation era type of approach. So that's that's kind of my thoughts on that. I feel like it's better to embrace these type of things. Obviously, you don't want to become too reliant on it. You don't want to go to the point where you don't even know what the paper was about, or you just typed it in a question and had the bot write it all. Obviously, that's not helping you, but to a certain level, you need to allow the latest and greatest innovations to enter the classroom. And what Mr. Allman is doing here is exactly that. You do have uh, this technology that's going to restrict your computer activity in the first drafts, and then in later drafts, you're going to have to explain these revisions, but then he's also going to weave in chat GPT lessons. He's going to let them evaluate the chatbot's responses, get some new discussions going, create some new ideas, and uh, I think that's going to be a positive approach. Students will probably be more open to that than the the reverse approach. So shout out to this dude. Hopefully other people are paying attention and they can do some similar uh class structures. What's cooking in video games? Speak of the devil, guys. I just talked about this in the main part of the episode. Awesome games done quick, also known as AGDQ. The week-long 24-hour video game speedrunning marathon that raises money for charity has just raised over 2.6 million dollars for the Prevent Cancer Foundation. According to Games Done Quick's official website, AGDQ 2023 featured 150 speedruns and raised a total of $2,644,770.41 from 39,857 donations, which came from 21,519 donors. The max donation was $100,000, and the average donation was $66.36. The median donation was $25. How about that for data, yeah? The next big event from Games Done Quick will be Summer Games Done Quick, also known as SGDQ. That's going to happen in 2023 from May 28th to June 4th. Get it on the calendars, guys. I think SGDQ is almost as popular, if not as popular, as AGDQ. They're put on by the same group, I believe, so... If you didn't find any uh, speedruns that trip your trigger this uh, time around, maybe SGDQ is going to have something. I'm going to be looking forward to that. Throughout the event, which ran on Twitch from January 8th through the 15th, they're talking about AGDQ now, speedrunners from around the world showed off their amazing skills for a good cause. There were a ton of incredible moments during the marathon, including when the gamer called Not I'm J and he spells J-J-H-A-Y, set a new world record for Super Mario Galaxy 2. 
<laughs> and they attach the tweet that he sent out after he set the world record. I just got a world record live at GDQ in front of 80K people. How in the actual universe? I have peaked in life. Galaxy forever. <laughs> what a guy. That would be so cool. Because world records in speedrunning are so rare. And when you're performing at GDQ in front of tens of thousands of people, the pressure's got to be crazy. The pressure on you. Everyone's watching. Everyone's seeing every movement that you're doing. And the fact that he was able to not only perform well, but the best that he's ever done, and not only the best he's ever done, but the best that anyone has ever done that game, absolutely incredible. Shout out to Not I'm Jay. That dude, that's going to be like life-changing. He, like he said, he, he peaked in life. I don't know if he's, that'll be the peak of his life, but his channel is going to get so much more content and views and attention and that's going to just positively shoot him off into the next step of his career. So that's pretty cool that he was uh, able to perform so well under pressure. Maybe the Chargers will uh, take notes and try to perform better under pressure in the second half of playoff games. Maybe you guys will come back next Wednesday to see what's cooking. What's underscore cooking on Instagram? What's underscore cooking on Twitter? You already know that I'm going to be back. And you know what? The guest episodes have been lacking recently. That's on me, guys. I had one lined up and I got sick. It was unfortunate timing. I need to start reaching out to people. I need to start uh, getting some leads, getting some referrals. And maybe we can uh, set up some more guests because you and I both agree that guest episodes are more entertaining, more fun, and more interesting. It adds an element of unpredictability that I do not have by myself. So, uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say for now. Chargers, figure it out. Speedrunning is very fun, and it's always a better podcast when I have a guest. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday. See you.